touch, pause, engage. Welcome to Gaga Pod Slam number 95. Um, I'm Timsy back here again. Matt's on holidays doing whatever he does. And so, yeah, you're stuck with me again. Um, as usual, brought to you by strike.com.au, Australia's biggest or the biggest in Australia. We can never quite get that right. Uh, supplies of Bluetooth, hands free kits and phone things. And yeah, they're pretty good. So, check them out. Uh, Green and Gold Rugby. If you put that in as a code word, you get a discount. But, uh, yeah, go nuts. Joining me again, I've got old faithful Scott Allen, and I don't mean old, just that you're faithful. Good. That's Hi, Timsy. Fancy you, meeting mate? you here again. I know. It's been a while. Yep. Um, Good. I had a great Easter. Nice and relaxing. So. Oh, yeah? Did you get much chocolate? No. No. Oh. Try, trying to watch the waistline. Yeah. I've, I've been watching it grow for years, mate. It's all good. <laughs> I was um, going to have that same line. <laughs> um, anyway, we've got someone else. So I want we've got a very special guest, one of my very favourites. Uh, you know, I'm, I won't blow too much smoke up his ass anyway. Too early, but um, heat up a steak, pour yourself a beer. Dan Palmer, how are you? Good, mate. Good. How are you, folks? I, I'm not too bad, actually. I, I just wanted to start early by saying that I've been really enjoying your. Uh, your articles that you've been doing for the these at Canberra <laughs> Times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. You, honestly, one of the li- I, I picked out a line from I think it was your last one. Um, yeah. You know when you're garnishing meat with meat, you're doing the right thing. Mate, that's all too true. I know. That's, Look, that's... I, I just want to tell you how much of an impact it's had on my life. I, I don't know if you, you yeah, know, but a few people who follow me on Twitter and stuff like that would know that I recently bought a sheep. Or it's actually a lamb. Oh, that's brilliant! Um, yeah. And the kids have really enjoyed the adventures of Fluffy. Is, is the lamb is the is the lamb still alive? The lamb came in a box. Okay, yeah. right. It, um, it's been wonderful. The adventures of Fluffy. It's been <laughs> it's been out on Twitter, and uh, he's made some good meals. She's made some good meals, I should say, and she keeps on giving. Best pet I've ever owned, and I want to thank you for the that's inspiration fantastic. to invest in meat. No, no problem, mate. No problem. It's good. All right, but moving right along, I'm sure Scott has a sensible question for you, so I'm going to throw it to him. <laughs> no dramas. Straight up to me. Yep. Um, well, well let, let's get into just a bit of background from you, Dan. Yep. Um, just fill us in where you've been and how your career's moved along. Oh, waiting on the start. I'd, well, I'd, I'd, I'd like to start, actually. I, I looked at your Wikipedia profile, and your date okay. of birth, 13th of September. That's right. Yeah. How much? How much do you credit that with being, you know, making you the prop that you are today? Because I just want to let you know, my birthday is the thirteenth of September as well. So I think that there must be something yeah, that, magical about that date. Yeah, there is, mate. That's everything. Yeah. That's everything. If you're not born on the thirteenth of September, you're going to be a rubbish prop. There's no doubt about that. Don't even bother trying. That's what I've always said. Don't bother, mate. God, yeah. God listen to you two. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start with where you, you played some schoolboys, Australian schoolboys, Dan. Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, that was 2007. Um, yep. I played I played Australian schoolboys and um, the natural progression. I played under-19s in Ireland. Uh, I played 20s the year after in Wales. And um, 
yeah, I was lucky enough to get an academy slot at the Waratahs from then, and I, I was there until 2010. Um, and, and obviously, obviously, obviously around that time comes. Yeah, he did. He did. My dad and my grandfather both played for Waratahs. Really? That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's not bad. Were they they all props as well, or? No, no, no. My grandfather was a lock, and my dad was a hooker. Okay. Yeah. So you're the smartest yeah. of the family. Yeah. Well, there's no doubt about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've got some questions that came from um from the from the blog, uh, sorry, from Facebook, actually. Um, just yeah. thought I'd throw one of those to you. It, it's come from someone yeah, who someone who works from the site, but um, I just want to talk to you about you, you're portrayed as a as a scrum expert, uh, and you know the which is right. But um, the the media that's the way the media talks about it. We, we just want to know how much of an don't, that, don't trust a, the media, mate. I was going to say, is that a media exaggeration, or are <laughs> all the props fairly? Oh, well, or how do you how do you see that? Oh, props. Everyone's got different strengths. Um, um, obviously, and I think scrummaging. Well, I try and make sure that scrummaging is one of my strengths because it's a it's a high priority for a tight end prop, obviously. Yep. Um, yeah, as far as the expert stuff goes, I've, I don't know where that come from, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting that uh, you you play number three, obviously. At uh, you play tight head at, at the Brumbies. Ben plays uh, yep. loose head. Uh, Quite often, mm. obviously, he plays quite a lot of um, tight head at the Wallabies. How does that yeah. dynamic work? Oh, it's not really an issue, you know. Like you just got to do um, the best for the team that you're in. And I guess at the Brumbies, um, Ben Ben plays loose head, and he, he does a great job at that. And when he goes to the Wallabies, they want him to be a tight head, and I think he does a he does a pretty good job at that as well. So I guess it's just it's just adapting to the environment you're in. And Ben's one of those blokes who can swap from side to side, so. You know, that's that's just the way it goes. I don't really have an opinion here or there on that. Um, I think he does a pretty good job. Yeah, okay. And what about you, Dan? Have you ever swapped to the other side or do you just specialise? I have played lucid, but then I realised that um, most of the smarter blokes stay on the better-looking blokes go on the tight-head side, so yep. I thought I was more suited to that. Fair enough. Very good. <laughs> Mate, this year with the, the new calling sequence, how have you found that and, and yeah. how have you had to change your approach? Yeah, yeah, look, it's obviously... It, they've been they've been fiddling around with the call for a while now and I think anything that shortens it is a good thing. Um, I think the longer call, you, you're in that crouch position for a much longer period of time and obviously you get, get fatigued in that position and that leads, in my opinion, to um, more collapses and more more things going wrong with the scrum. So if they can keep it as short as possible, I think that's beneficial. Um, where they go from here, I'm not sure. I know they're trialling um, something at the moment where they um, you actually hold the touch. So you take a blind on the touch call. Um, yeah. So yeah, well, I think that'll be a shit. I think that'll be a shit fight to be honest with you. Well, the BBC had a uh, they did a scrum podcast um, last weekend actually. Okay. With, uh, yeah. Most of the main coaches, like Mike Crom was on there. Um, obviously, yeah. Brian Moore was on there. Um, they had the guys from the IRB on, um, one who's the chairman of the Scrum Steering Committee. They had Nigel Owens yeah. on there for the referees. And basically, okay. you know, what they said is that whilst it hasn't been written in ink yet, there will be a global trial next year across all competitions yeah. um, of exactly what you're talking about. So basically, yeah. you almost set up year to year. 
Yeah, and I know our um, runners, our, our sort of Brumby runners team are playing those rules now. So they played Tonga and Samara, I think, or a couple of Ireland teams, and they actually played those rules. Did you get a chance to watch much of that? or? I did have a look at it, yeah. Yeah, you can't what? read too much into those games. Yeah. Um, and we we did a bit of it at training just to help those blokes before they played. Right, okay. So you're, yeah. I mean, a bit of a shit fight, you say. Is the, can I read into yeah. that, that you're, you're a fan of the hit? Um, yeah, I just think if, if if the props have got contact with each other before the scrum actually begins, that means that you can start you can start to niggle and you can start to manipulate the other bloke before you're even in the scrum. So I think I think it will cause more problem than it solves. But I'm I'm happy to be proven wrong on that. Okay. Yeah, I, I know that uh, I've had the odd uh, robust discussion with a few people. Uh, is the hit worth it or not? And I've I've always been mm. firmly of the opinion that I, I love the hit. Um, I love mm. it as a well, player. Well, that, that that actually doesn't take the hit out of the scrum. Um, oh, doesn't it? There, there's still a gap. No, there's still a gap, and there's still an engagement call. But you're just actually in contact with the opposition before you engage. So, so what? The, the, the um, touch is held. You when you touch their jersey to. When, when, when you distance. touch, it's held. Yeah, when you touch it, it's held, and then um, there's still a, there's still a set call, and there'll be an engagement after that. So. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, yeah, what they're so doing the, the is you've got, you've got to be a lot, Yeah, but you've got to be a lot closer together, haven't you? Because basically, the first when you touch, you basically got to bind below the armpit, and then once you engage, you can readjust your bind further yeah. off if you want. Yeah, I haven't read into it, into it too much, but I know that they have stipulated where you can bind and where you can't bind and all that kind of stuff. So, so. you can't just pull a sneaky nipple cripple or something? No, no, that's right. That's what I'd be going for as well, I think. Yeah, I, yeah, it's, it's good. But they're fun. basically saying that you've got to come closer, so you're almost ear to ear when you're lining up, and that's going to be a massive advantage for loose heads against you know a tight head, isn't it? Oh yeah, of course. Like, um, I think, yeah, I think it, depending on, I don't, I don't know the details around where you're allowed to bind, but depending on where you are allowed to bind, um, will determine who it actually favours. Um, I think if if a tight is is smart enough, it can favour him, but if he's not allowed to bind in on certain parts of the jersey, it's a huge disadvantage. So, yeah, again, I think all that leads to is is more problems. Yeah. And so, Dan, how much scrummaging work do you guys do in training each week, you know, both on the machine and live? Yeah, yeah, we, we've, we've had disrupt, disruption recently, sorry, because um, obviously we've been travelling, we've had short turnarounds and stuff like that. Yep. Um, but we like, we like to get two sessions in a week um, before we play. So early in the week we'll, we'll have a session that would, would um, include uh, machine scrummaging and live scrummaging, and we'll try and... Um, with live scrummaging, replicate the opposition we're playing as best as we can, and try and get, try and get through the movements that we're trying to do to expose their weaknesses. And then there'll just be a, we'll just sharpen up later in the week on the machine before we actually play. But yeah, on on a full week, um, on a, in a full week's preparation, we, we'd probably have two sessions in season. And yeah, Laurie Laurie Fisher's come on and had a bit of a chat with us a couple of times, but he he seems okay. really uh, real. Uh, Wonderful thinker of the game. How much um, mm. how much input does he have on how you approach each opposition in you know the scrum? Is it to the to the very detail of the way that you pack, or is it um, just more let you go out and do your own thing, but gives you some pointers? Um, Laurie, Laurie runs the forwards um, pretty much um, every everywhere outside of set piece. So Benny Mullen okay. does the lineouts, and I do the scrum. 
Right. Okay. Um, so um, Laurie obviously has input in everything, um, but he, he's very good, and he, he lets us sort of um, look into it and do basically what we want to do, which is which is really helpful. Okay, that's that's really he, good. He, yeah, yeah, mate. He's he's a fantastic coach, and um, yeah, he's 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 awesome with um, you know all his breakdown and mauling stuff that he does, and he's well known for that. And um, he's happy to sort of let us take control of the set piece, which is yeah, which is fantastic. Yeah, good, good. And just in terms of one final question on that training, what would you be your ratio of um, machine work to live work? Um. It, again, it depends on the week. Um, if we've, uh, we, we'll, if we're sort of fatigued and we've come off travel and we've had a few heavy weeks, we'd, we'll probably do majority machine work. Um, but we do sort of every fortnight or three weeks, we need to top up with some liveys, and um, you know, one of those sessions is probably fifty-fifty. Yeah, and just just for the, yeah, uh, so. just to help the backs out here who don't understand, what do you get out of a machine session? What can you do there that you can't do? better or not as well anyway when you're um, doing a live scrum yeah we we use a machine basically for timing and some individual technique work um, so we use our live scrummaging I'd, I'd say more for our tactical the tactical side of our scrummaging we use a machine for our technical side that'd be the yep. easiest way to, to uh, describe it and just again for the backs um, education it, it, you know, because they probably look at it and think it's just a, a bunch of blokes pushing all over the place, push as hard as you can. But, Ignorant. Uh, yeah. <laughs> as we know, that's not the case. And you mentioned timing, and that's just so critical, isn't it, to get it, the whole pack working together? Yeah, mate, you broke up there a bit. Yeah, so what I was just saying, you know, that the backs probably don't understand this, but, um, you know, that timing is so important to have the pack working together, isn't it? It's just not a matter of eight blokes yeah. pushing. No, 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 no. Um, timing is important. Um, sort of, we look at we look at three points of body position. So, um, foot position of each player, hip position of each player, and shoulder position of each player. And where we can um, we can distribute weight basically where we want it through those three, without going into too much detail with those three sort of um, technical um, principles. All right. Um, so that combined that combined with timing, um, yeah, is is the fundamentals to. Just coming well. Nice. Um, I've got a question from Twitter. Um, Lucy Black's asked. Yeah. Now, I'll read it to you straight up. I don't know where, where it comes from at all because I haven't heard anything about this, but um, she, okay. she wants to know your views on hookers calling the engagement at scrum time rather than the ref. I don't think this is any uh, trial or anything like that, but uh, maybe just an idea. What do you reckon? Yeah, I'm, I'm, well, I'm not, I'm not, I've never heard of that before, but which hooker would... would would make the call. Would it be the the team feeding, or either either way? I think it. Um, yeah, it's no good. It's like, I guess it's like having a running race and you saying go. So there, there's no way you can you can lose. There's no way you can lose that race. So I, I don't. I wouldn't agree with that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I, I haven't. As I said, I haven't heard of it before. So um. Yeah, that's neither good. Have I. That's, that's odd. Yeah. Um. Oh well. Um. I, I, we're we're gonna. Talk about the uh, the the big move that you've got coming up, um, heading to France yep. at the end of the year. Yeah, excited or yeah, that's right. Yeah, very, very. Um, that's obviously a massive scrummaging culture, and that's that's part of the reason why I'm going. Yep. Um, but yeah, yeah. To answer your question, I'm very excited about it, and, and I'm looking forward to it. 
All right. Um, one of the questions we've got from Facebook from Lachlan Webb has said um, he'd like to know what, what parts of your game that you think the Northern Hemisphere competition will improve. Um, sorry, I've lost you again, mate. Sorry oh. about this. This is probably my fault. No, that's all right. Uh, it's it just Lachlan Webb asked, what parts of your game do you think the Northern Hemisphere competitions will improve? Oh, okay. Yeah, um, I guess... The, the easy answer to say there is scrummaging and, and forward play, but I guess regardless of what competition I'm in, I'm trying to improve um, my whole game and um, the areas I need to improve um, uh, with sort of my play around the park and things like that, I don't think will suffer from going over there. And I think my the areas that are strong for me at the moment will only benefit. So, um, yeah, to answer that, I guess regardless of where I'm playing, I've, I've got a lot to improve and a lot to work on and um yeah i can do that in france or i can do it here it's um yeah it's irrelevant and obviously there's there's probably no one answer to this question but and things change as you go you really are looking at this as a short-term thing and then come back to australia in a relative short term no no i'm not i'm not looking at it um past i haven't, I haven't made a decision past the one plus one year i've signed like i could i could be anywhere i'm not i'm not going there with a preconceived idea to come back and I'm not going there with a preconceived idea to stay, so um, I'm just going there to to play play for the contract I've signed, and then make my life after that. If that makes sense, right? Fair yeah. enough. Um, I guess yeah. that part partly answers uh, the question for Rugby Smartass too about why now. <laughs> um, you know, I, and, I, and I share that view. Yeah. I, I enjoy watching yeah. you play with the Brumbies and stuff, and you know, it's uh, yeah. it just seems you you know. Just a strange time to go, but I guess you know that I'm not mm. criticising that. It's just uh, I'd like to see more of you. Yeah, in yeah, the South, but... yeah, yeah. No, that's fine. Um, I'll probably prefer not to go into the details of that. Yep. On here, no, that's but, cool. Um, yeah. yeah. No, you go right. to F- FC Grenoble. There's already a few ex Brumbies over yep. there. Who've they got? There are, mate. There'll, there'll be five by the time by the time we get there. There's me and me and Peter Kimlin are heading over, and. Um, They've got Anthony Hegarty, Ben Hand, and Henry Van der Glass already there, so there'll be five of us. Right. And they're a top 14 yeah. side? Yeah, they are. They are. Yeah, they're about mid-table, top 14. Okay, great. Yeah. And so we've got a question here from Brumby Jack who uh, wanted to know what it's like living with Nick White. Oh, yeah, it's terrible. It's <laughs> painful, to be honest. I've... I've developed a habit of going to bed at six o'clock. It's actually three hours past my bedtime, just to get away from him. But um. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and yeah, about that, I don't want you to hold back because he didn't say very nice things about you when he was last on here. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mate, he needs to take his opportunities because he can't say it in front of anyone. <laughs> well, he's mate, only a scrum half. Man. Being the meat man, are you the cook in the house? Um, there's actually no cook in the house. We very rarely eat at home. I actually just got home from Hogsworth, to be honest. It was um, Colby, Colby and Tavita's birthday, so we went down to Hogsworth and yeah, had some steak. Nice. What yeah. do you have? Yeah, so we were, oh, what did I have? <laughs> I don't know. I just had I had one of their I had one of their steaks. I I felt a bit sorry for it actually when it came out. It didn't stand a chance. It took them <laughs> it took them a while to get it out, so. Yeah, yeah, it, was, it wasn't too bad. Yeah, I know that they're supposed to be 18-hour slow cook, but they shouldn't start cooking it when you get there, should they? No, exactly. I think <laughs> I was there for that time. 
Oh, good stuff. So, how, um, who, who's up this week for you? You guys, um, the the Kings. We're playing the Kings. How's yeah, that? Um, right, yeah. what, what sort of what what challenges do they face compared to the a more established team like the Bulls? Um, yeah, we've got. We're lucky enough to be playing them. Sort of, you know, what is it around round eight? So we've got eight weeks of footage on them, which is nice. Um, obviously, outside of that, you don't know too much about them, and a lot of players and new on the scene, so you don't know much about what's going on but I think we've got a we've got a pretty sturdy game plan and we, we know what we want to achieve this weekend. Cool. So yeah, looking inwards. Yep. And yeah. mate, we've all been very yeah. impressed with Scott CO over the last few weeks. He's really coming yeah, along or has good. he he's been that good, just hasn't been getting a run. Yeah, mate, he's he's shown a lot of potential over the past um you know, he was he was on the flash as well obviously and through the whole time we He's he showed an enormous amount of potential, and that's just come to fruition recently because he's he's got he's got more game time, you know. So um, I think he's going he's going really well, and he's got a good attitude. He's trained hard, so I'm sure you'll see him much more in the future. Yeah, and mate, how good is it packing against uh, Mister Consistently Good or with Mister Consistently Good Squeak? Yeah, yeah, obviously Squeak Squeak adds a hell of a lot. Um, yeah, it's great. He's got a he's got a fantastic sense of humour as well, which is, which always helps. Does he uh, try and upsell much with his uh, Nando's, or uh, I think he's flicked that. Oh, is he? Yeah, I think so. Not on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh. So. Fair enough. No more discount cards mm. for you guys. I didn't see one, mate. <laughs> I've, I've, I've <laughs> heard that actually. Yeah. Yeah. You get mates' rates pay a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right, play double. Yes, that's it. Well, um, what have you got, Scott? Anything more, or should we let him go to bed since we've kept him up? Mate, I'll just give you one more on in terms of the scrum. Yep. What, what's your scrum philosophy? Are you, are you, and as a team, I guess, looking just to win the ball, or are you looking to absolutely dominate no. the position and really use it as a weapon? Yeah, yeah, we look to we look to use it as a weapon. Um, so basically, we. Yeah, look, I don't want to give too much away, but um, yeah, we look to the scrum as, as a weapon. We look to get obviously our team on the front foot on our ball and um, disrupt the opposition as much as possible on their ball. Um, you know, so yeah, there's. Oh, I don't want to go into too much detail around that, but no, yeah, we do, we do use it as a weapon. It is a huge priority for for our forward packing our team, and um, yeah, when it doesn't function properly, we're we're pretty devastated with ourselves, and we work pretty hard to make sure it's it's consistently good. Uh, well, speaking of that, sorry, I'm, I'm I am going to throw one more in there. You, you mentioned that uh, yeah. you you mainly run the scrum sessions. Yeah, you know, Laurie's Laurie oversees it, but um, doing that bit of yeah. coaching, I know I know that uh, you talked about you know you're contracting one contract at a time type way, but uh, is is coaching something that you're looking towards at the end or after your playing days or? Yeah, it's something that I've enjoyed and it's something that I'm interested in. Um, so yeah, certainly, certainly it's something that I'm looking looking to get into when I finish when I finish playing. Yeah, good stuff. Oh, and I actually sorry, yeah. there, there was one other question we had to ask, Dan. <laughs> yeah, sorry. go for it. We keep saying it's the last one, but mate, we had Laurie on no, a fine. few weeks ago, and uh, yeah. he told us that you're trying to curry favour with him with that haircut of yours. Is that right? My haircut. Oh, mate, look. Yeah. Laurie didn't really come into the him? equation when... No, 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 no. I'm, what I'm going for is windswept and interesting. 
if it if it bothers you. <laughs> is, is, it, is it is it true that you're getting around in a bucket hat outside of uh, playing time? <laughs> oh, look, I'm not I'm not going to answer that question. Um, possibly, <laughs> photos, possibly but... at times. <laughs> yeah, no, it's sort of it's an evolving um, haircut if you if you want to call it that. But um, at the moment, we're sort of at windswept and interesting and. Sort of in three years' time, I want sort of like a sumo top knot with chopsticks in it, something like that. Would be fantastic. Nice. Yeah, yeah. That could catch so it's, um, it's not. I think it will. I'm a bit of a trendsetter, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Right. Well, uh, great tracksuit for... pants are really catching on, Danny. Great tracksuit pants. Yeah. Trying try uh, uh, something I've been trying to push is tracksuit shorts. I don't know what the tracksuit the shorts. Are. Yeah, yeah the mate, they're they're well, Benny, Benny A's already on the bandwagon with them. Oh, is he's he? He's got a disgraceful pair of those. Yeah. Oh, there's no Fucking disgraceful disgusting. pairs of them. <laughs> oh, look, oh. you say that. Yeah, I've heard I've heard about his hygiene, so I can I, I don't know if that's the direction you're heading there. So. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. He does he does have this he he does have a constant odor that follows him around. I'm not really sure what it is. I'm afraid to ask. <laughs> oh, good times. Well, anyway, mate. Um, thanks very much for the time. It's been no dramas, uh, mate. good to have a chat and um, go well on the weekend. And we'll uh, talk okay, to you mate. later. Cheers. No dramas, mate. Thanks for that. Cheers, thanks, mate. Man. All right, take it easy. See you, mate. Right there, right there. All right, we're back, and uh, it's just me and Scott now. So let's uh, let's get down to the serious business, mate. But before we do, how good is he? Well, he's he's very very knowledgeable, isn't he? And um, he is but I tell you, one of the things I really liked out of that was Laurie Fisher's concept of where he's you know empowered the players and said, Dan, you've got the scrum, and Ben, you've got the line out. Yeah, uh, it's al- it's almost as if he uh, he believes that they may you know know what they want to do and be professional enough to go out and do it. Yeah, well, I mean, the reality is Laurie Fisher's not going to be on the field with them. So if they can actually work it out in training and run it in training, then they take it on the field. Any problems come up, you know, they get fixed a lot better and, you know, smart tactic. Yeah, it's uh, it's probably something that we should watch out for in the Brumbies games. The, you, you often see a team... Uh, sort of be unable to adjust the game plan on the fly. I wonder how much of a positive cha- influence that has on their ability to do that. I mean, well, it, whatever it is, it's certainly working, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, they're doing all right. They're doing all right. But um, we really should get to this in in its proper place. So we'll talk about the the first game first: Highlanders versus the Reds. They uh very close game. First uh, bonus point win for the Reds this year. Um, what did you think? Yeah, it was good. That's the first time the Reds have beaten the Highlanders um, in New yeah. Zealand. Yeah, we talked about this last week, didn't we? Yeah, and it's the first. It's also the first time they've played them at that stadium. That's yeah. that's what I'm putting it down to. And it New looked stadium. like for a, a minute there, it wasn't going to happen. I mean, the Reds the Reds dominated most of the match until maybe the last 20 minutes. Um, 
not saying that the Highlanders were out of the game, but the Reds looked pretty good. Again, they looked comfortable, almost a little bit like the Bulls the week before. And I don't know whether they took the foot off the pedal or it was fatigue or whether the um, the Highlanders just stepped up, but it was awfully close at the end there. Yeah, the, you, you've got to think that it was probably a little bit of, uh, you, you don't want to say fitness, but at the, especially at this stage of the season, but uh, I think it's always been a bit of a mental mental thing for, and uh, you know, I'm stereotyping a little bit here for Australian teams to actually like go for the kill. I don't think it happens that often. Yeah. So, and, you know, and people the, have made the comment that, you know, the um, the comeback of the Highlanders sort of coincided with when um, James Hall went off. Yep. And, you know, it, may, it, it looks like he is that important to the team. He really does provide another level of leadership, which no doubt Will Genia does as well. But he also just provides that go forward and, and almost, I think, a bit of calmness. Yep. So um, it's interesting that, yeah, it did coincide with not long after he went off the... Highlanders came back and scored two tries pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, th- yeah. I don't know. It's it's interesting. They also lost uh, Liam Gill very early into the into the second half, which um, I know didn't come as a you know it wasn't the turning point if you would call it that. But uh, obviously, yeah. a lot, he brings a lot, he's been bringing a lot, and he was playing fantastically in that first half. Actually, I haven't heard what happened with him. I've heard it's a thumb. Oh, okay. But I don't know any more, and I don't know how bad. So, um, so the red the Reds have got a buy, and he might be right. But he he was in fantastic form again. Yeah, he's been playing well all year. I mean, honestly, with all the chatter about uh, George Smith, he's doing all he can do uh, to stake his claim, isn't he? Yeah, fantastic. James Hansen had a really good game as well. Yeah, uh, got himself a try. Yeah, which was a classic try. You know, catch the ball between the legs, <laughs> pick it up, roll over, and score. Yeah, it, uh, he did a good job, didn't he, to keep his head about him? Yeah. So, and I again, know which way again, was up. Yeah, well, I think we're saying it every week. The Reds are not playing you know, that well to them uh, at the moment. But, you know, this time they got not only a win, they got a bonus point win. So, you know, they're just keeping on, keeping on, hanging in there. And uh, they look like if they click, who knows what could happen. Yeah. Well, yeah, it won't be the, if they can click, it won't be the last bonus point, will it? There's certainly a lot better place but um, than they were last year. Yes, yes, that's right. About this time it was when all the wheels were falling off, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. I think round six last year for them was the shellacking at the hands of the Bulls. Yeah. Round seven was come back and get belted by the fourth. Yes, didn't they? Horrible. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Their round six, round seven haven't been too bad. No, they've done okay. Uh, anything anything else of note for that one? Or? No. No? Just a good old... Uh, I, I liked the, you know, the closeness of it. and wasn't the wasn't the last of the close games for the round, but uh, definitely started off the weekend in, in a good way. Uh, next one up, Brumbies versus the Bulls, 23-20. I, uh, I must say I, I tipped the... I probably tipped the Brumbies to do a little bit... win it by a little bit more, but um, I wasn't surprised when I saw... How this one unfolded, the, you know, two minutes to go, they were a try up. Two or three yeah. minutes to go, yep. Yeah, and, and, and the Bulls came back and scored a, a late try, um, 79th minute, um, which was a good try, 
turnover midfield and the way they went and, and kick bot 3,000, kick you know, the conversion from out wide to level the scores up. And realistically, I think there were 30 seconds to go or maybe less than that when they kicked off. And it looked for all money like it was going to be a draw. Um, and then, you know, a bit of a controversial end to the game. Um, you know, the Bulls had the ball. They wanted to go left to where Stain was so he could kick it out, although I still don't understand why the halfback didn't just kick it out himself. But anyway, um, yep. Peter, Kim, Peter Kimlin was offside, in yep. my mind, clearly. Um, the referee didn't call it. In fact, said no, he'd seen it and play on. The assistant apparently called to him over the mic that he was offside, and he said no, seen it. The referee had hand, uh, the halfback had hands on, and the Bulls took it into a ruck, and uh, Nick White was credited with the turnover penalty, forty-one metres out, and Lee Lafano, you know, a great job, ice cool under pressure, took yep. his time, never looked like missing the kick, so it was a controversial end, um, but yeah, they got up with no time left on the clock, so yeah, it was interesting. As controversial as it is, um, the scoreboard or the, the, the books will always say that uh, it was the three-point win to the Brumbies and there'll be no more talk of that. So it's just the way the cookie yep. crumbles. Yeah. So it was 2 tries one for the Bulls, but Lee Lafano just kept nailing the penalties, kicked really well. That's six from uh, six, was it? Did I did I see that right? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, Certainly so... he got six and I'm pretty, I can't remember him missing one. No, no, but, you know, I'm sure. The, the good part for the Brumbies was they adapted their game. They yep. they went in against a team that really play, you know, very dour rugby. Kick the ball, put it up high, you know, try to play field position. Um, and the Brumbies yep. played a bit of that to counter them. So, you know, they 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 were able to match fire with fire. Mm-hmm. It, it didn't make for a particularly interesting first half, anyway. Uh, it opened up slightly in the second half, but a good team has to be able to adapt and not always play the one way. So, you know, again, the Brumbies look very composed um, up, right up until the moment when the Bulls broke free and scored that last try. Um, yeah. They looked, they, uh, they looked comfortable. They had the game. So, um, so we mentioned to Dan earlier, Scott Seo had a really, really good game. I thought he was fantastic. Yep. It's good. We uh, I, thought, I thought Peter Kimlin was good. I, I mean, I, I'm not a massive fan of Kimlin, but he just keeps playing well. No doubt yeah. about it. Uh, and interestingly, the Brumby scrum just absolutely dished the Bulls to the point where the Bulls had um, their loose head sin bin for 10 minutes for just repeatedly collapsing the scrum. Uh, they just absolutely dictated terms. And it would be a long time since an Australian scrum um, has dictated to a South African team like that at scrum top. Especially the Bulls. Yeah, yeah. Although, you know, when you look at how they scrummaged against the Reds, yeah. you know, they, they still, I thought, were on top of the Reds, but they weren't They weren't like, like they've been. Um, mm. It's interesting. I'm not sure, haven't followed the Bulls closely enough to know where they've got lots of injuries in their pack, but they're certainly not the force that they were. No. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, you know, fantastic that an Australian scrum is dishing it up to them. Yeah, well, that's what Dan said. You know, he aims to dominate. He wants to. He wants to use it as a weapon. And if they've got that mindset, that's half the job done, really, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. Um, moving right along, Waratahs versus the Force, and another of the close ones, twenty-three nineteen. 
Um, Force, well, my take on it, the Force were pretty much their own worst enemies, kept giving away penalties. Uh, McKibben kept kicking them, um, just kept them pulling away. Uh, And it was, um, I think Fat Cat said it in the aftermatch interview that... uh, you know, it wasn't wasn't so much that the forwards destroyed them. It wasn't so much that the backs destroyed them. But it was just a pretty much that the Waratahs played eighty minutes. Yeah, they did. But also, the force played into well anybody's hands, basically. You know, yeah. very restricted game plan, very much a Tars game plan of two thousand and twelve um, with Michael Foley controlling it. You know, lots of pick and go. I think that's the See, It's interesting, count. isn't it, that the, they've got the coach of the Waratahs in 2012 and now they're playing the game of the Waratahs in 2012. not sure if there's any dots you could join there, but... <laughs> well, it was something... I think the ruck count or was something like two to one in favour of the four. So they had a lot of possession yep. compared to the Tars and they just lacked penetration completely. Um, looking at it now, yeah, 96 to 48. So, yeah, double for the force. Wow. Uh, possession, possession stats have been different between different providers, but Fox has got um, the force at 62% possession. So you have that much possession, you hold on to the ball for a fair bit of time, and you really just can't, you know, the force could score one try. The Tars score one as well, but only having... Um, 38% of the ball, you know, one's not too bad for them. But yeah. force, they just seem to be lacking a bit of punch um, and a bit of finishing power. That's something where they're a new combination. Fair enough, they can probably take a bit of time. Um, but the Tars, and I, it was interesting, I saw Michael Checker uh, not complaining but making the point that he thought that the force were, in his words, fouling them. So basically committing offences. Right, yep. To, to stop them playing this magnificent running game, which, when you look at it, that the running game that they're playing really isn't that dissimilar to other teams when they run the ball. Um, <laughs> but, you know, so a, what? I, I thought it was wonderful. <laughs> well, no, no, I'm not saying it's, it's not wonderful. They're, they're kicking a lot less, so yep. they are playing more attractive rugby. But it's nothing out of the box where you look at it and say, wow, they're the only team doing this. They're, they're kicking yeah. less. Is it is it um, is it smarter kicking though? Because I'm not adverse to a bit of kicking, but uh, it's got to be intelligent. It, uh, are you seeing any intelligence to their kicking? I mean, no, no. no. And look, for, I must say, Israel Folau kicked the ball. I I can't remember him kicking the ball in a competition game this year. Yep, he's had a number of occasions where you think kick it now, and he's run it. So that's yep. clearly the instructions. But this time, I think he might have had four or five kicks in the game. Yep. And he's got a massive boot on it. The ball travels right. a very long way, mm-hmm. but it doesn't go where you want it to go. It's right. either n- not going out or it's sprayed and it goes you know, 20 metres forward but 50 metres into the crowd. So <laughs> he's got a bit of accuracy work. But, look, the, they have a very clear intent that they want to run the ball. Checker is is obviously drilling that into them. Sometimes yep. I think they run the ball when they shouldn't. I, you know, as you say, there's a place for kicking. But maybe it's a point where he's got a team that have been so used to kicking, he's basically got to drum it out of them before he can then go, all right, guys, now we can have a little bit more kicking. 
Um, yeah. You know, you, you get ingrained in some habits, and certainly when Beric Barnes was back the other day for, I think he was only on for 20 minutes or so, he came straight on just kick, kick, kick. Yeah. Um, so he, because that was his first game, clearly hasn't got the message, whereas the others have. The Tars did some good things. Um, Adam Ashley Cooper was very good. Uh, Michael Hooper had a good last 10 minutes. Um, I thought he was pretty quiet for the rest of the game. Ben Robinson had a really good game, so both he and Ashley Cooper were playing their hundredth, so that was, yep. that was good. Um, Brought the best out in them. Yeah, I thought uh, McKibben had a reasonable game. Foley, again, was solid. Um, but they, they had a lot of solid performance, so they, the Tars are getting better every week. And despite the fact they started poorly, I see today they're only one point out of the six. So, mm. you know, the, um, it's they, interesting. they are going you know what you've got to think about? And I, I was looking at the table today and it, and it dawned on me something. All of the Australian teams are one round ahead. Yes. So the fact that we've got three teams you know, that high up, you know, we've got the, the leading team in the competition, we've got the Reds sitting uh, third, or second, uh, third or fourth, depending on how the, the table's drawn, um, and you've got the, the Tars just one point out, we are a round ahead. So when we're off playing... British and Irish Lions, all those other teams will get another round to catch up. Yeah. And, yeah That's going to change things a little difficult. bit. Yeah, the table's also difficult because if you look at, for example, the Reds, um, you know, they've got to buy next week. Yep. So you, you, you add to their points straight away another four points. Um, so, you know, they and the Brumbies are actually, even with that game ahead of the New Zealand and South African conferences, they're actually right up in the mix. Um, yep. The Waratahs, yep, they're, it might be slightly um, exaggerated where their position is, but what you've got to say is that they're hanging in there. They're starting to play some better rugby. Yep. Um, the force, they've got a long way to go. You can see they've got some potential. Again, you know, As I said, they're missing some strike power. I think Winston Stanley at 13... Um, solid player, but it's not really adding anything. Uh, Goblin is doing very well at 12. Everson at 10, he's a very conservative fly half. You know, pass the ball and kick it. You know, there's, he's not a threat at all, which makes it harder for his outside men. Yep. Um, I'll tell you, the guy who was absolutely fantastic was Hugh McMenamin. Oh, he's been good since he came back, hasn't he? He has. I mean, it, I think looking at him, it would be very difficult to say he's not going to be in the Wallaby team. The question is whether you play him as a lock or a six or you put him on the bench because he can cover both, which is very valuable. Yeah, What? Um. Wh- where, do you, where do you think he should be? Oh, I'd love to see him at six. Okay. I, I think if they, you know, they went with, let's say... Uh, Douglas and Horwell to me Horwell's a given he will be yep. one of the uh, locks and captain and captain I think Douglas you know he, he continues to perform solidly um, so I think he'll be in the mix there and I think if you had Hugh McMenamin at six you know that's a very good starting team the, the only thing you'd say there is there is a real attraction to having McMenamin on the bench because he covers the back row and he covers lock. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to come back to this. There's one more game to, for us to talk about, but I think it's a good chat to have. Yeah. Um, so before we before we do that subject, uh, Cheetahs versus the Rebels, uh, 34-16. I think we predicted last week that it would be a bit of a shellacking. Um, not as bad as the week before, but it was a bit wet. So 
uh, maybe that slowed the cheaters down. Yeah, the interesting thing was that the Rebels were in this game up until I think it was the 65th or 64th minute. Yep. You know, they were only, I think, seven points behind. Might have been mm-hmm. slightly different, but it was basically a converted try away. And then, um, you know, they started to actually kick into gear the cheaters and, and ran away with it. Um, the yep. force then came back and scored a try near the end. But the, the Rebels weren't totally outplayed. Having said that, they were, they never looked like the winners of the match. No. Um, they just hung in there. They just they fought, and that's a good sign. Fighting yep. rather than just caving like they did the previous week. Yeah, well, I think that uh, with their off-field adventures, they um, there's only two ways they can react, isn't there? And one's yeah, dig in, and the other is just completely lose the shit. So it's good to see that they've uh, decided to dig in. Yeah, well, and realistically, when you when you've been beaten by nearly sixty points the week before, you're not going to turn it round and win. No. Um, at a professional level. You know, you no. might in a schoolboy level or, you know, um, club rugby game, but to go from an absolute belting with all the dramas they had to then get it back to, and I'm looking here, it was the 65th minute, they were in the game still. Yep. Um, and that was only on the back of penalties. Um, yep. They didn't score their try until right towards the end. But yep. they were in the game. Something could have happened. The, the ball could have bounced a different way. And, in fact, there was one opportunity where um, they went down the left touch line and I think it was Higginbotham passed it out to the winger. And had they got that ball, it was a definite try. It was just a matter yep. of does the ball go to hand. They actually would have uh, levelled up the scores. And who yep. knows what could have happened. So all credit to them for hanging in. But, gee, yeah, they've the Rebels have got some problems. Mm-hmm. It's just not all gelling, and and clearly we've seen that with the off-field, and then we've heard different stories this week about what's going on. Yeah, there are problems, and now we see that um, Damien Hill's job is, you know, well and truly up for grabs, it looks like. Yeah, it's it's always a bold move, but if there's one thing that usually turns a turns a province or a team around, it's sacking the coach midway through the season. We've seen it before, so maybe that's the tactic they're going for. But Yeah, I, I don't think they're going to go that way. I think the, the CEO <laughs> made a comment today that, you know, you can't leave your discussions about who's going to be the coach for next year until the end year. of the year. Yep. Um, it's something that we've had some discussions with Damien about already, and we will continue to do that. So, you know... Those discussions that they're having at the moment wouldn't be, Damien, you're doing a great job. Mate, we want to talk about locking you in for next year or the next two years. Yep. They'd be talking about, mate, you know, your job's on the line. So, you know, that that adds, unfortunately, a little bit more stability. Um, As soon as players hear that the coach mightn't be there, they start to doubt what the coach is telling them. They're thinking Mm -hmm. about, you know, what's my position next year? Well, am I going to get a contract, et cetera? So... You know, none of those are good for the force. You've then got, uh, sorry, the Rebels. You've then got um, Beal, obviously, with his dramas and all the talk is he's going to the Waratahs. You've got, I saw, and I'm not sure whether this was an April Fool's joke of an article, but I saw James O'Connor saying he wanted to go to the Brumbies or, you know, there's talk that he wanted to go to the Brumbies. Um, Do you think they'd have him? Well, no. Uh, interesting, a lot of people on the site just said, we don't want him. A lot yeah. of our Brumbies fans just said, we don't want him. And um, 
I think that that's probably given, you know, the, it looks like the team unity and the spirit that's built up in the Brumbies club. I don't think they would. No. It was interesting. I watched in the warm-up to the, or the lead-up to the, the Brumbies-Bulls game. What I didn't realise is that alongside Bruce Stadium, I don't know if it's called Bruce Stadium anymore. It was last time I was there. The AIS, yeah, I think it's just Canberra Stadium now. Okay. But yeah, uh, could be wrong. The AIS complex is, you know, say 400 metres away um, yep. alongside. And the Brumbies go in there and they warm up, and that's where their training base is. And if you've seen the pictures of it, it's a magnificent facility. It's like nothing else that other teams have got. And um, then they all walk over together, and they just had the, the images or the, view, the vision of them walking across together, and they just looked like a band of brothers all together, you know, they were very comfortable with each other. And, you know, along with some of the things we've talked about, the, the very good coaching down there, it's no wonder that the unity of the club there is gelling so well. And there's no, you know, obviously Dan Palmer and Kimlin are going as well, but there's no talk of trouble. Would they want O'Connor? I don't think so. No. Great player. Don't get me wrong, great player. But If you um, could just keep him in a box, wheel him <laughs> out for training and game day. It'd just be about perfect, wouldn't it? Well, it was interesting. Did you see? I'm not this saying necessarily today? him, and I'm not picking on James here, but uh, there does seem to be a core of trouble players that yeah. well, it was uh, interesting you know. That Eddie Jones came out last week and said, "You got to you got to lose one of the three amigos and keep the other two. He didn't say which of the three you would lose. So you know, Beal, O'Connor, and Cooper. Yeah, uh, the, the three amigos, and he's basically saying, if it were me, I'd lose one of them, because I reckon if there was only two, it'd be much better for Australian rugby. I, mm. I don't know enough about it to know whether that's the case. Um, no, that's a pretty big call. Yeah, I mean, I think they cop a fair bit of criticism for things that you know aren't that bad, really. Uh, but then again, you know, there's there's a fair Where bit. Where there's of smoke, there. there's fire. Yeah. There, there, there's, there's been a lot of smoke and there's been a lot of fire out of the three of them. <laughs> yes. So which one would you lose, mate? Uh, I'd lose Beal. Yeah, I was going to say right now I'd say Beal as well. Yep. I, you know, uh, there are there are the Quaid haters who will say he disrespected the Wallaby jersey last year. You know, he made those comments which are absolutely disgraceful to his team, showed no respect to his team. Um, and there are those people that say James O'Connor's selfish and is more worried about his haircut, etc., or what hairstyle he's got this week. Yeah. But none of them hit their teammates. None of them disrespected their captain. None of them have um, had the problems that Kirtley's got at the moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, when I, he was when he was. Uh, you know, you think back to, you know, the the rough time when he kicked that winning goal in South Africa. He was lean. He was obviously clean and concentrate, you know, putting a lot more into his game. God, he was good. But yeah. it's almost like he's, uh, you know, read a bit too much of his own press and, you know, thinks he's above it all. So I think that he needs a bit of a reality check and perhaps this is it for him and, God, I hope we get to see him as in the way he was. But, uh, yeah, at the moment... It would be fantastic. Dead set I, I, with you. I just hope that the Rebels have got somebody working with him. 
Um, yeah. I'm, I'm worried that he's in Sydney, not that being with his family is a bad thing, although I know some people have said that he's had trouble with his family before. There's mm-hmm. a court case, you know, where his cousin had made some accusations about him, yep. which I think was dismissed in the end. But some people are saying it's not good he's with his family. Um, others are saying it is. I don't, yeah, I, I don't really I think, care where he is as long as it's helping him. Well, well that's exactly right. But I, I think, and I've seen the point made by people, that the rebels and the ARU, who are his employers, yep. they have a duty, and I, I don't think they can do much when he's not back down in Melbourne where the rebels can basically get him every day. Uh, I've seen comments that the reason that he went on that tour to South Africa was because they wanted to keep him close. Yep. There was no intention that he would play. So clearly they, they have been worried for a while. Um, wherever he's meant to be, yes, as long as somebody's helping him because yeah. you don't want to just sort of say to the guy, well, come back in three weeks and it'll all have been forgotten. If it's not fixed, help him. If he's got an issue, he says he doesn't have an issue, which is which is which was another take on it last week. Adam Fryer yeah. on behalf of the Rebels was saying, no, no, he, he's just misspoken or he's, he's got it slightly wrong. He does have an issue and he's admitted he's got an issue and we want to help him fix it. And then Kurtley made the statement, which Adam Fryer said, look, that's not an endorsed statement from the club, where he said, I don't have an issue. Yeah. Um, you know, fixing an issue, the first thing is always admission. Yeah. So I just hope somebody's with him. Someone's yes. helping. But anyway, I'm not saying I endorse Eddie Jones, get rid of one of the Amigos. No, no, that was just a a lighthearted, which one would you get rid of? Anyway, uh, moving right along, I want to get us back on track. The um, Hugh McMinimum, Kane Douglas, James Hall. You've got Hugh McMinimum at six. I'm not even going to touch him on the bench for the moment. How do you balance that back row? Uh, The question, well... You're going to have one of either George Smith, Liam Gill, Michael Hooper, and I'd put Which them in that order. Okay, yep. Yep, I'm, I'm going so with... If, George if, Smith, if Liam George Gill, Smith, Michael Hooper. Yep. Liam oh. Gill is in such tremendous form, I think he he jumps ahead of Hooper at the moment, who I don't think is in great form. Yep. Um, don't forget, there's nine weeks to go, so he could yeah. come back to form. So yep. if we had to pick a team this week... This week, next I week, is the Lions, yep. Yep, the experience of George Smith, you'd want to start him. Absolutely. Um, I would go with Liam Gill off the bench. Yep. There's all the, the the question of whether or not Smith's available or not. We'll see. Uh, all all three look. of them, I think, would do a fine job. Um, yep. So, yeah, you, you're going to have one of those three as your fetcher. Yep. If you look at, if you look at the balance of your back row, I believe your number six has got to be one of your key line-out jumpers, which McPenniman is. Um, He's got to be a free-running ball runner. Number six for me is not stay tight. That's your number eight and your locks who stay tight. So does McPenniman play that role? Absolutely, and he's played it at test level as well. Um, There's the argument about whether you pick players on form or experience. Well, he's got form and he's got experience. Just because his Mm -hmm. experience was, you know, four years ago doesn't matter. Still did Uh, it. Yep, he's been there and played as a Wallaby um, in World Cups. So he's got the experience you need. And you need your your big bopper at eight. 
You need your real hard man. So who um, are you picking there? It, again, you get back to your experience versus form. I reckon if you're going form, um, everyone will cry out that Ben Mowen deserves a crack. Yep. Uh, and I, I'd, actually, I'd actually have him on the bench. Yep. I would be going with either Palu if he gets back and shows some form, or um, Fodalau, the Brumbies. Um, oh, yes, yeah, yeah. Yep, one of those two guys starting. I mean, they are they are the big hard boppers that make an awful impact. Uh, um, Palu's not making as much of an impact he used to. Um, I believe he's back next week, so he'll 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 get the chance to show everybody what he can do. Yep. Uh, I reckon it if you had a, one, I of think it takes a couple of weeks to warm up traditionally. Yeah, I reckon if you have one of those two starting at eight with McMenamin yep. at six, who's another hard man and a great lineout option. Um, you got a really well balanced. I would have Moen on the bench because he can fill either six or eight, and I reckon he'd be a great option coming off the bench. Yep. Um, yep. The question then becomes: Do you put Moen on in starting at say six in his place of McMenamin? Bring McMenamin on um, because he's got the versatility of being the lock. I reckon you want to start with the biggest boppers you've got. So start with McMenamin and, and you know, your big bopper at number eight and the experience of Smith at seven. You've got a really well-balanced and strong back row. And then you can bring on some of the other guys in the second half to make a real difference. Add to that Hall and Douglas as a second row pairing. Um, gee, you're starting to look like a, a good back five. Mm. So... I think that's starting to look like a good pack. You know, yep. definitely, you look at the front row, all day, every day, surely there's no argument Stephen Moore's going to start. No, I don't think there's a... I'm not going to argue with you. Good. <laughs> not, not even going to go there. I agree entirely. Squeak's got to be there. Yep. Number one, it's, uh, to me, it's Ben Robinson. Finding form, played really well on the weekend is still one of the world's best loose head props. Yep. Um, uh, number three. Here we go. I, I don't see how you can go past the meat on meat man. Meat on meat. Um, Dan Palmer. He, in combination with Steve Moore and, and Ben Robertson, I think they can really take it to the Lions pack. Yep. You, you, you've got your options at number three are Ben Alexander, um, James Slipper, I think, are the two most likely options they'd consider. I don't think Sakopi Kepu's got a, a look in. He's not playing well, hasn't been playing, and is not playing well when he is playing. Yep. Um, Alexander and Slipper, they could be your bench props. They could almost be your bench props because they've got the flexibility they can play either side. Have we got 23 for the Lions yep. test? Yeah, it's okay. 23. Yeah. So you so need put them two both on the, on the bench. Yep. Yeah, and that way you've got maximum flexibility. You start to get a really good balance. You're going to have a really good scrum to compete against the Lions, and the Lions are going to do what Dan Palmer talks about the Brumbies are trying to do. They're going to try and go through our scrum. Well, if yep. we can match them on that, we take away a massive part of their game plan. Yep. And with a back row like I'm talking about, I think we could get on top in the forwards, which 
I don't think most people would think is possible for a Wallabies team to get on top of the best of the home unions. That's traditionally where they're very strong. So I see some positive signs there. Whether all those blokes will get picked in those positions or not, who knows? Hmm. Yeah, I don't think so. I I, I think that we can well, still talk go? about it. No, 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 no. I, uh, you, you've you've misread me there. I'm a little bit jaded still about uh, uh, the the national coaching, and I know everyone's going to say, oh, "Not that again." Can't we just forget about it? But I think there's a big difference between what we can sit here and rationally and logically say should be the selection and what we'll actually trot out. Yeah. So I, I agree with you. There's, there's not a lot of positions that I'd argue with. Um, uh, and I like your rationale for, for most of them. Um, but I, I really don't think that that's how it'll play out. I think we're going to look for something along the lines of uh, Alexander. Uh, no, no, no. I think we'll have Tatafu at, at Hooker. I think we'll have Ben Starting. Robson at... I do, I do. Really? I just, uh, okay. I'm not saying I'm not saying that's my team. I'm just telling you what no. I think now. No, no, I know just, that. But I'm just saying, surely they couldn't come up with that, mate. It's I've seen. I've. It's, I think it's an indication of how jaded I am, but I honestly think that that's what we're in for, in, in store for. I think that um, uh, Robbie likes to pick his players and stick with them. I, as long as Tatafu hasn't had his. You know, his his brain turned to mush. He'll be playing. Well, can I go off on a tangent and talk about that particular issue? You, you it certainly was can. Some, was something I wanted to raise, and I thought about it because while I was having dinner tonight, I looked down on the TV, and there was a replay of the the Tars game from the weekend. Yep. Allow Tartu, me to give you that segue. Come on in. Yep. Tatafu started on the bench. Yeah. Yep. And apparently, Elugia had. Uh, had a head knock, so he came off for a check. Yep. And Tatafu went on um, mm-hmm. early in the game. Tatafu copped that high tackle from Marfu, and he went down, and he looked dreadful. He looked like he was gone, and he went down and tried to throw the line out, which, you know, the poor bloke, he has copped a serious head knock, and not only did they say... Well, you're going to stay on the ground, or he said stay on the ground, and this is the whole point of what I'm talking about. However, it happened. He stayed on. He was clearly concussed when he went down to the line-out throw because you could look at it. And even Sharpie was talking about it's hard to know what's going on when your line-out thrower's eyes are rolling to the back of his head when he's trying to yeah. throw them. And, of course, the throw went astray. Um, and then Tatafu went off. Alugia came back on. Yep. So that was fine. Tatafu came on in the second half and he took another knock. And honestly, the bloke was stumbling like he'd been shot and he was he kept, he kept going. He's tough yep. as nails. He just looked like he refused to come off. But seriously, I'm no doctor. I don't understand all the medical stuff. But you've only got to look at the bloke and say he is concussed. And yet he played on for another five minutes. Um where he looked like he was completely gone. I just wonder what is going on with people. You know, are they really looking after him? And clearly it's Tatafu going, I'm right, leave me alone. Mm-hmm. But for, for his own sake, I wish someone would get him off the park when he's like that. And it happens too often. Yep, most weeks. 
Well, that's probably yeah. a slight exaggeration, but it feels like most weeks. I remember a couple of years ago him being totally devastating, but it seems now that you, every time he goes to tackle, you're wondering who's going to get up from it. Yeah, and look, don't forget that the high shot he took from Mafu was nothing to do with Tatafu. He didn't no. do anything wrong with his technique. It wasn't a poor tackle. He copped a high shot. Mafu yep. got binned for it. But someone's got to look out for the bloke because he doesn't seem to look out for himself. He's just as tough as nails. Yep. And I reckon you've got to worry for him. And I reckon it's it's impacting on him because he's not the player he was. It's got it's got to be taking its toll. No one can take that many knocks to the head consistently and not be affected by it. Yeah. Well, he had in that game two serious head knocks and he just kept going until Aluja was right to come back on and then to the point where, you know, they'd run the next four minutes of play or whatever till there was a stoppage when he said, okay, now I'll come off. Now, I admire the guy's bravery. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong, but I think everyone's got a bit of a duty with a guy that's had so many head knocks. And I was just I was watching it on TV tonight for the second time, just shocked that he was allowed to stay on the field. Yeah. yeah it's a bit of a problem, isn't it? Yeah. So there you go. I've had my rant there. No, and a worthy rant that is too, because obviously there's some people thinking about it with the trials that they've got. So, you know, if we're not talking about it and, I don't you know, know what you, you know, do about that, though. You've, you've already got a hooker off. Who do you bring on? Well, I mean, surely surely the player is bigger than the game. Uh, I, I, I'd rather the see players, the, the player's health. Yeah. yeah, that's what I mean. The player's health is bigger than the game. But you've got to say, from, from, the, from the Waratah's point of view, you don't want to do that. Yeah, I hate so those I, I, uncontested scrums, but yeah. if it means that a player gets looked after it, then let's have uncontested scrums. And yeah. who cares who cries and says it's not on and it shouldn't happen? Well, that, at the end of his career, we want him to be able to use a knife and fork and feed himself and do all those sorts of things that we take for granted. We don't want him to be you know, completely ruined. So yeah, and, there, and, and, there is a duty there. Exactly. And I, you know, I reckon the problem is... That he's got those, he's got his hair back in the whatever they call them, the the cornrows, the cotton, yep. cornrows. That's it. Instead of the afro, so he hasn't got the scrum cap anymore with the afro. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, it's it's the same amount of padding. It's just compressed now, pre-compressed. So, all oh, right, okay. Yeah, I'm yeah, I'm not sh- not sure of the physics. I haven't done the uh, the you know the maths on that, but uh, I'm pretty sure that. Uh, that shows how much I know about the medical side of things, doesn't it? <laughs> Mate, <laughs> trust me, you sound already sound like you know a lot more than me, so that's good. <laughs> I'm a good bullshitter. Is that what you're saying? Yes, that's <laughs> it, mate. You're doing well. Um, salesman. Okay. Yes, well, I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. I'm going to say that uh, we've selected the Ford Pack, and I invite next week, next week's show, to discuss the backs. So okay. we're not going to talk backs. We're just going to talk. Um, no doubt it'll be just you and me again. But I'm just, we'll well, no, I've played the backs someone. as well as the forwards, so I, I can help select the backs too. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, bit of an all rounder. <laughs> bit of an all rounder. Um, I never. I've only ever played in the forwards. So sign of my intelligence, I think. What else have we got? Um, let's have a look at the next week's game. Moving right along. Uh, Brumbies versus the Kings. We already touched on that with uh, Dan. Didn't get a whole lot out of him. He plays his cards close to his chest. 
Um, but he did allude to the fact that they've got a few weeks of footage on them. Uh, what are you expecting? I'm not expecting that the Brumbies will take them lightly. I'm expecting that the Brumbies will be going out there saying, we have to belt these blokes. And if we happen to get a five-point bonus point out of this, great. Um, But they're at home again. Uh, The Kings Kings aren't actually doing as badly as I thought. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think I remember coming up to round one, I'd said, look, we know the force will beat them because they're dreadful. Yeah. And more egg on my face with my predictions. But uh, <laughs> watching them, they're not that bad, actually. They're hanging in there. So the Brumbies wouldn't want to take them lightly. And I don't think with guys like Jake White and uh, Laurie Fisher in there that there's any chance they'll take them lightly. So nope. I think I think they'll have a comfortable win. Um, and I think they'll get the bonus point out of it. The other thing that does is with the Reds, you know, on the buy. Yeah, the Reds not far behind. They've only got the bye. If the Brumbies get a bonus point, it's really good for them. They kick away a little bit further in the Australian Conference. So yep. I expect a very good performance from the Brumbies. I'm not seeing any chinks in their armour at the moment. Uh, no. No? no? I agree entirely. Um, can't really right, see yeah. that going any other way. So next we've got the Hurricanes versus the Waratahs. Yeah, well, this is an interesting one, isn't it? Yeah, it's, uh, it's in Wellington. Um, the Hurricanes have been somewhat of an, uh, well, you know, an enigma. That's my impression of them. Sometimes they're really, really good and other times they're not. Uh, I'm not really sure if that's correct, but that's just the impression that I have. Uh, the Waratahs have been building a little. They'll, they'll be pretty confident after... Uh, their comeback against the Blues, looking at uh, you know a New Zealand opposition that they've played recently, that they'll be um, drawing some strength from the fact that they put in an 80-minute performance against the Force. I really can't tip them though. I'm pretty sure no. I'm going to go for the uh, for the Hurricanes for this one. Is this this is the Tars' first game offshore, isn't it, for the season? I believe so. I, I, I mean, they've been they've been away from home. They, they yep. went to uh, they've been to Suncorp. Um, they've been to Melbourne. Yep, but I think this is the, the first time they've actually travelled off overseas. The first time they break out their passports for the year. So, yep, I think you might be right. Yeah. Yep. Oh, so what do you I reckon? About, oh, I really don't know about this one. I'm like you. I'm. Yep. I'm finding it hard to pick. The uh, the Tars. Mm-hmm. I think they're playing fine. Yep. Uh, I think the Hurricanes are probably two weeks ahead of where the Tars are in terms of their season going up. And you know, sometimes you start a season slowly and then you build into it. Um, I think the Hurricanes have been getting slightly better every week, and I reckon they're maybe two weeks ahead of the Tars. So, yep. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't tip against the Hurricanes at the moment on this. No, forty six thirty last week against the Kings. Don't know if that changes anything. Yeah, um, I, they, the, one of the dangers of playing the Kings is that you take them lightly. No matter how much the team talks about it, no matter how much the coach talks about it, yeah, there is a yeah. there's potential to take them lightly. Yep. Uh, I think with the Brumbies, as I say, they've got a such a good coaching staff that that isn't going to happen. 
not yep. saying that other you know team like um, or another team like the Hurricanes last week don't have a good coaching staff, but yeah, um, I think there's less risk with the Brumbies at the moment. Yeah, no, I agree entirely. And uh, so yeah, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to give that one to the Hurricanes. Yep. All right. Uh, Force versus the Rebels. So the Force coming back from Sydney to to home. Uh, the Rebels coming from South Africa to yeah. Perth. And so the Rebels have flown straight in from South Africa into Perth. They didn't come back, which obviously nope. makes good sense. So they're there. They'll have had plenty of time to acclimatise. Um, this could be, I reckon this could be just about the game of the round. <laughs> um. In terms of it's going to be very close. I think you're going to have a very conservative force playing the game they played against the Tars. Yep, they will be and, trying and to... they def- desperately won't want to lose in front of their home team, their home crowd again. Uh, they'll also have targeted this game, given what's happened with the four, uh, with the Rebels over the last couple of weekends. So they'll be targeting the, you know, doing it, doing a similar thing to what they did against the Reds last year. You know, hitting, kicking them while they're down. Uh, on the flip side, you'll have the Rebels who will be wanting to leave all of that in the Republic and start afresh back in Australia. Uh, yeah, I think it's a, it's an intriguing one as well. I think it could go could go either way. I, I, I really don't know who to tip on this one. Yeah, I think the thing that the Force know, and, and I think this is probably the Force's game in every game they play, but particularly against the Rebels, they know they need to keep the ball away from them. Yep. I, I, think, the, I think the Force could have this in the Force. Yep. So they, they don't want the Rebels having the ball, moving it out wide, and trying to run around them. So um, similar, similar the, possession state, stats again this week to last week, and you think they could do it? I think they can do it. I, I, I'll tell you what I reckon would change it, and this is why I don't understand why the Rebels wouldn't do this. They've got to get James O'Connor more into the game. Yep. So put him at 10 or put him at 12. They had Angus Roberts at 10 last week, and he may have a great future, but he's pedestrian. Yep. And it, it doesn't suit. I mean, what's the point of having O'Connor at fullback if you can't get him the ball and he can't attack? So if, you, if you've sold on Roberts at 10, put O'Connor at 12. Yep. If not... Yep. And I, I don't think that's a bad combination. Um, O'Connor at 10, the force can... You know, they've got a very good back row. They can target him. Put him at 12. He's got just that little bit more width but he'll get his hands on the ball a lot more. Yep, so yep. I just don't see how the Rebels can leave O'Connor at 15. He's the only threat they've got. And this week they've got Cooper Vuna back on the wing. Um, he's a bit of a threat, but, you know, the rest are just seem to be going through the motions. Having said that, Inman has played well at 13. No doubt about that. Yep, but yep. Agreed, agreed. It's going to be a very close outcome. Uh, I reckon it turns from the Rebels. They've got no chance if they don't get a corner closer to the action. Um, I think the Force, their forward pack, as I say, will get over the top of the Rebels' forward pack. So I'll, I'll go with the Force. Okay, so basically, the old adage, forwards win the game, backs decide by how much, you're going to tip the Force. You got it in one. That's exactly right. Yeah, I, I can't pick it. 
I'm really having troubles with this one. You've got splitters in your ass, have you? You're I have, sitting mate. On the right fence. on the fence. Um, I, I would, a draw? No, I can't tip a draw. That's just silly. <laughs> Although, if it's going to happen, now's the time. Um, the, I'm tipping it to... I, I will go the home team. I'll go the home team because they're the home team, which worries me because the force is shit at home. Um, so I'm going to go the home team. I'm going to tip that the force will be more eager to kick kick the Rebels while they're down. I'm going to say that they would have targeted this game as a, as a must-win game and, and a can-win game from earlier on. Uh, so they'll have done a fair bit of work on this, more than they would have done on the, against the Waratahs. Um, that's the way I'm going to put it. So I'm going to say the force, but not by much. Four. Oh. Force by four. Gee, you're, you're braver than me. You're nominating a points difference. I'm yeah. just going the force. Yeah, no, no, it's all good. Yeah, that's what I reckon. Good. And the last game? The Reds. I'm going to tip, going to tip the Reds will get four points. Yeah, the Buyers try hard, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're lacking in forwards. The buy. Yeah, there was going to be a good joke about how you know they're yet to get a win this season, but everyone gets wins points against them. But yeah, I don't really have it in me. <laughs> uh, too much, uh, too much has been taken out of me by this uh, trying to tip a winner out of the force and the rebels. So suck the life out of it. <sighs> yeah, I'm going to stew on it for a little while. You know, you know what will fix that. What's that? What will rejuvenate you? Meat. Yeah, and you've got to garnish it with some meat, yep. and you'll be right. Yeah, I'll cook a, cook a bit of roast fluffy and uh, put a lamb chop on the side of it, fluffy chop. Excellent. What do you reckon? Oh, it sounds like a great plan. Now, <laughs> is there anything else we've got this week? I don't think so. Is there anything else on? Oh, yeah, no, I did. I, I wrote an article the other day about the Reds. The Reds stats? Yes. Well, and uh, I wrote it because somebody had asked me a question about the Reds' defence. I think I asked you a question about the Reds' defence. I'm not going to take credit for it, but I did ask you about it. And I, I actually, um, it, it's interesting you say that because I got a message from the former defence coach the other day saying the Reds are back. So from from his vantage point over in uh, Scotland, he's he's called that. And I saw your stats article. So yes, what do you think? Well, I don't know if they're back yet. Right. They're close to being back. Yep. But but the, the, the proposition that was put to me was actually involved former defence coach, that the Reds are falling apart because they don't have their former defence coach organising yep. defence. Yep. And my first reaction was, uh, I've seen some problems, but I haven't seen that it's a problem yep. in, in overall. Yep. So I went back and looked at the statistics and it came up, you know, I was really surprised, actually, in that if you look at the number of tackles missed, um, significantly down um, from 2011. So 2012, the Reds had an up-and-down year, but if you were to say the Reds are missed tackles are 28% down from 2011, and the line breaks they're conceding are 37% down from 2011, and the tries conceded a 25% down from 2011. It's pretty hard to say that the Reds have got a defensive problem. Can I ask a question? At this point yeah. in the uh, at this point in the competition, are the tries down across the competition? 
So what I'm getting at there is uh, it's all very good and well to say um, the the Reds have had less tries scored against them than in 2011, but are the competition tries down? So that's not that big a deal because the competition trend, the way it's being refereed, the style of play that's in vogue at the moment is not conducive to tries. You, you know, you get what I'm saying. I get what you're saying, but if we were in Parliament, that'd be called a question without notice. And you can't right. do that to people because I would have to pull up the stats and I need you know at least 15 minutes to answer that question. So All right. Well, I we don't, we don't quite have that, but I look forward to reading about it on uh, Thursday. That's a good point. That'll be my next article. Yep. It will be to look at and how everybody's going. All um, right. I expect credit. But but in, you'll get credit. I'll, I will make mention of the fact that this is all a result of Timsey's question. Yes. But I then went, after I so basically concluded that the stats backed up what my general perception was, Yep. Um, that the defence is actually better than it was in 2011 after the first seven games. So it's, it's better than it was in 2012, but I think Barbar made the point that the stats for the first seven games in 2012 included that shellacking against the Bulls. Yep. Um, but you compare 2013 to 2011, and those numbers are significantly better than they were. So something's going right in the Reds' defence. But then you look at the attack, and this is where the Reds have got a bit of work to do. You know, their, their line breaks are 29% down from 2011. And their tries scored at the moment are 35% down from 2011. So the difference between the Reds being the championship leaders um, and you know starting to dominate the competition. Can I can I just can I can I try my hand at a bit of um, a bit of an analysis through stats? Oh. What the stats are telling me there is that if the Reds want to get back to the top of the competition, they have to let more tries in. Let more tries in. Yeah. How does that work? Well, you said in 2011 when they won the competition, they had more tries scored against them than they have this year and last year. Or well, last year was <laughs> the, the abomination. But so the statistics tell me that if they just let more tries in and let more line breaks get through, they'll win. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> you should focus on non-statistical analysis. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, I was sort of working towards... Keep your defence up, guys, but let's let's let the attack a bit loose and yeah. let's go for it. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll pose another one to you then. Uh, the the is it the the, the defensive systems changed? Is it possible that uh, though the defence is better now, it's got a negative impact on the attack because the transition from defence to attack is not as efficient with the new system as it was with the old system? So they're less likely to score points by those turnovers. Are you going to credit the guy who made that comment on the site about that? Because you didn't come up with that, did you? No, I, honestly, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I haven't read that, but I'm just wondering. Oh, well, great minds think alike because somebody else put that, that same proposition. And right, well, they sound very intelligent, quite possibly a tight head prop and quite possibly born on the 13th of September. Right, well, good. I'll address both of your questions then. Right. Um, the difference between the Reds' defensive system this year and 2011-12, when Tatsy was the defence coach, mm -hmm. one of the central components of Tatsy's defensive system is very quick line speed. Yep. Get up, 
get in the opposition's face, try to force that error, try to catch them behind the game line, and that does lead to more turnovers. Yep, and from and there, you can attack. Yeah, so and that's the, opposite, a very... the opposite is happening now. They're sitting back on their feet and waiting for the attack to come to them before shutting it down. And they're doing a more successful job of shutting it down, I'll grant you that. Yeah, so what happens when you rush up in defence with a really quick line speed is blokes sometimes make errors. Yep. And therefore, you leave a hole, and then you have to scramble like crazy to shut it down. But that leads to a line break, and occasionally leads to more tries. Yep. Whereas the Reds this year are concentrating more on sacrificing line speed. Yep. To achieve a more the integrity of their line, so there are no holes. You can't get through. You'll make less line breaks. You'll score less tries. Uh, we'll concentrate on shutting you down rather than attacking you. So. Yep. Yes, that's a very valid point. Um, which system is right? There's no right or wrong about it. It's, it's Sometimes you change it for a team because you look at a team and say, well, they stand deep, so let's go fast and try and attack them. Yep. Sometimes you look at it and say, look, they play flat to the line. They have real threats. The best thing we do is shut them down. And sometimes you change it through a game. And sometimes, you, I, sometimes I guess you also say, right, well, the team that I'm t- coaching at this point uh, – they don't cope very well with that fast movement up and they're much better defenders if they wait for the attack to come to them. Is that right? Or Absolutely. So, for example, if you take Chris F. Sortia at 13, yep. you give him the job of leading the line up fast. He's a young bloke, not with as much experience as some others. He can make mistakes, whereas you put Anthony Fienga in at 13 and say you lead the line up at fast pace, he's much more experienced. Yep. He could probably handle the fast defensive line speed better than F. Sortia could. Yep. Um, I'm just speculating, but that's the sort of thing that you, as a coach, you have to take all those things into account. Yep. So, yes, the defensive system could be, because they're not attacking them like they were, could be not leading to as many turnovers, which could be not leading to as many attacking opportunities. Yep. So, focusing more on shut them down make a higher percentage of tackles, less line breaks, less tries, which all the stats show. And all that argument or all that answer says is stats are great. They give you a picture, but you always got to look deeper. Yes, which is and what I was getting to getting at with the, the way to win the competition. Yeah, the Reds and, you, and you're a deep thinker. Yeah, you, that's it. It's, yep, great analysis. <laughs> I just That'd don't be a I smart ass. analysis of letting more tries in. More <laughs> yeah. it's a perfect, perfect balance. You sort of can attack them and still not give away too many line breaks or too many tries. But but the the, the general thing for me is uh, I don't see the Reds' defence being their problem at the moment. Yep. Okay. So that was the basis of that article I wrote. Good stuff, and I look forward to the follow-up. And um, if there's interest, I, I know that we can probably have a chat with Tatsy. Uh, the last time I spoke to him, he was keen to come on and have a chat. I was actually thinking he might leave it a little while and talk lines, given his uh, recent exposure in the Six Nations. But um, I think well, mate, we should definitely do that because I've been watching some of the Glasgow games, and obviously watched all the Six Nation games and. Uh, he's had a very positive influence on Scotland. Yep. Um, I don't think it's just Scott Johnson who's come in there as the assistant coach. And surely Scotland are going to appoint him as the head coach because he's 
he's turned Scotland around from yep. uh, where Andy Robinson had them. And Andy Robinson was obviously a good coach, but Scott Johnson has gelled with them and the players seem to love him. But I don't think it's any coincidence that Matty Taylor's there as well. Yeah, the, 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 the chatter that I hear is that um, they get along quite well and I think it's a nice, tight-knit little coaching team that they've got going there. So uh, right. I think it'd be good you for the... Organizing. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll make some calls. Maybe he could be the guest on Podslam 100. Maybe. We have, we have got that coming up. That's, yes. a, that's a good one. Let's crowdsource that. Who who do you want? I, I'm personally thinking we should get a favourite, an old favourite, uh, to come back and celebrate the 100th with us. Uh, maybe a couple of guests for a couple of short stints and have a bit of a party. I'm not really sure. But um, is there anyone in particular you guys want to... You guys want to hear from for the hundredth show? Five away. Can I, can I put my vote in now? Yeah, right. He's a bloke that you and I spoke to a few weeks ago at Suncorp Stadium. Oh he, yes, yes. He said he'd love to come back on. He did, and he's doing a magnificent job commentating on Fox. Yep. Uh, Sharpie Cannon. Oh, Sharpie. Sorry. Yes, no, I was being sarcastic there. Sorry. Hit <laughs> uh, me in the face with a pie or something. Um, Seriously, no. Well, Sharpie, that's one vote for Sharpie. I'll put that down here in my little book. Good man. All right. But other than that, right. I'm not really sure. That that's probably got to give, You've probably got a week worth of thinking about who you'd like to have as guest for the 100th show. But um, if you'd like to let us know, do that. Other than that, um, Scott, till next week, I predict. Matt's probably still going to be on holidays, so... Oh, I'm sure we'll see someone else next week. Yeah, I reckon so. Give him a go. All right. It's unfair of us to uh, hog it like this. <laughs> yeah. Great talking to you. As always, mate, and um, we'll catch up with you later. Okay, mate. Cheerio. Catch you. See you guys.